Hello. Great to see you this morning. My name is Gareth. I'm married to Rachel, who's up on the balcony, I think. Hello. Uh, we have a six-year-old son named Caleb. He loves Lego. Uh, and I'm going to start with a confession, because uh, Father's Day didn't start too great this morning for me. Uh, I managed to stand on his favorite Lego dinosaur, uh, which didn't go down too well. There was shouting, there were tears, and that was just from me, because I think I broke the skin. Thank you so much for your sympathy. That's really kind of you. Um, we live in a fantastic part of Sheffield called Furvale, where we're planting a church. And just a quick update on that, we have some people who are joining the team. Praise God. Uh, and it's not too late to get involved. If you want to uh, get in touch and uh, explore that, that'd be great. We're aiming to launch in September. Uh, I'd love you to be praying for breakthrough in terms of a venue to, to meet on Sundays uh, from September. That'd be great. Uh, and if anyone uh, would like to... Uh, has a means to buy houses in Fairvale that might be helpful so please get in touch if you're keen to help in that way uh, to buy houses um, God's really on the move in Fairvale uh, just this week I was prayer walking on Wednesday and it was amazing so many opportunities just to talk with people about Jesus one guy who I'd known for a while but I haven't seen for a few years I knew him as a teenager now he's in his 20s and he's got a family and, he, and, and so on he just pulled up in his car as I was walking and just got out and suddenly started telling me about how he wants to come back to Jesus and how his, his life's gone off the, you know, not, not how he wanted to. And he wants, it's just amazing. God, that was about me even mentioning Jesus. He just brought it up. So that's the kind of thing that's happening all the time. Uh, opportunity to pray with people in the street. Um, so yeah, if you want to come and prayer walk with me, you're welcome to any time in the week. If you're free, just get in touch. Um, that'd be great. Um, and uh, you'll see for yourself what God is doing. We are today looking at the book of Nehemiah. We're looking at Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll realize that that's the same passage that Bryony was talking on last week. So we're going to have a quick pub quiz to see why that is. Uh, if you, who likes pub quiz, anyone? Yeah. Uh, is, it, is the reason A, because there was a miscommunication on the preaching rotor? Is it B, because I was meant to be preaching last week, but was really, really ill, and Bryce stepped in last minute and did a fantastic job? Is it C, because Tom loves the book of Nehemiah so much that he just wanted to eke the series out for one more week? Or is it D, all of the above? And the answer was, of course, all of the above. Uh, I was uh, ill last week, and Bryce did do a fantastic job um, and stepped in last minute. Thank you, Bryce. Um, but it's all good because we'll pick out different things from the passage. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was watching online last week while I was clutching a bowl. Sorry if that's too much information. Um, but um, but uh, and Brian did a fantastic job. And, uh, and, but we, we have picked out different things, so it's, it's all good. Um, first, I'm going to... Oh, just to say as well, I'm glad that Brian E. reminded us not to compare ourselves in comparison because... It's a tough act to follow. Let's, uh, let's, let's just elephant in the room. I'm going to be the weaker link, so please don't compare me to her. Um, so uh, there we go. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into today's passage. God, thank you that you are able to speak through your word. Uh, thank you that it's no accident, maybe, that, that, uh, that this word is going to be shared today. It was meant for last week, but God, your time is perfect. We believe that. And I pray, Lord, that something of what I'm going to share might uh, speak to some people here today. And Lord, we just invite you to come and speak to us. Lord, we just open our lives up to you. Would you challenge us? Would you shape us? 
for your word. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start with a quick story. So my wife, Rachel, enjoys gardening. Anyone like gardening here? Yeah? I wouldn't call myself a gardener by any stretch, but I do occasionally enjoy getting involved in the projects that she's doing. And uh, last year, we had kind of slightly adopted a local flower bed down the road from where we live. Um, there should be a picture on the screen coming up. It was rather neglected, as you can see, complete with discarded Coke can, uh, singing nettles, dandelions, generally full of weeds. Um, and Rachel had a fantastic vision to plant wildflower seeds uh, in this flower bed, um, which I thought a fantastic great idea. Little did I know that it would take about six hours of really hardcore digging uh, to dig up all the weeds and the stinging nettles and, flower and dandelions that were there. Um, not only that, but it would also take almost daily weeding uh, well, once we planted the flowers as well. Because if anyone's ever um, dealt with dandelions before, you'll know that they can be really difficult to get rid of. You kind of dig one up and then the next day another one pops up. It's a little bit like that arcade game, you know, Bacamole, where you're kind of trying to... And uh, they can be a nightmare. And if you leave them for a week, you won't have one dandelion, you'll have 50 because they've gone to seed and it was an absolute nightmare. But um, it was worth it in the end because uh, there should be an after photo coming up. That was what it looked like in the end. Well, isn't it beautiful? So we had our own little wildflower meadow in Fairvale. And now a year on, uh, we've kind of left it uh, for a while and it, the dandelions are back for the vengeance. So the, 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 the moral of the story or the, the, the point, the link to my message for today is that any gardener will know if you're complacent about weeds, they can take over and they can kind of choke and starve the flowers or whatever it is you're trying to cultivate. Okay, so um, with that in mind, we're going to uh, look at the story, but I want to talk about three attitudes today that we're going to see in this story. Three, if you like, three pro approaches to purity, really. And they are, this should be a picture on the screen, hopefully, complacent compromise, ruthless religion, or passionate pursuit of purity. There's a good bit of alliteration there. See if you can spot them in the story as you read it. So it should be on the screen, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call down a curse on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil, olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, 
Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemai the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padaiah in charge of the storerooms, and made Hanan, son of Zachar, and the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Okay. So as I said, we're going to look at three approaches to purity that we see from different characters in the story. The first character is a guy called Eliashib, the priest. And uh, he has been put on in charge of the storerooms in the temple. He's been given a responsibility. Um, so the, the storerooms are where all God's stuff is kept. The worship equipment, the incense, the offerings that people have brought and so on. Now, Eliashib is complacent. He's mates with a guy called Tobiah, who we've met in the story before. If you cast your minds back to when the Israelites were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Tobiah was the one who mocked and ridiculed them, saying even a fox could break down that wall. So he opposed the rebuilding and kind of tried to undermine what, what they were trying to do. He represents like the enemy of God and God's, the enemy of God's people. And Nehemiah turns his back for one minute, and Eliashib has given up Tobiah a room in the temple. He said, come in, enemy of God's people. I'll just make some space for you. We don't need all this stuff that belongs to God. I'll just clear some space for you. Come in, make yourself at home. And he's taken the things and the space that belong to God, and he's sublet it to the enemy, given ground to him, and welcomed him in. I think this is kind of a picture of what happens in our lives when we can get complacent about our sins. So easy to do. Take our eyes off God. Maybe get a little bit lukewarm. Lose our passion a bit. Maybe you begin to compromise. And then compromise a little bit more. And the more we compromise, the more complacent and lukewarm we become. Because we're sort of turning our back away from God. And it can become a bit of a vicious cycle. We say to sin, and we say to God's enemy, the devil, come in, make yourself at home. I'll, I'll just clear some space for you. And we give over the things that belong to God, our worship, our desire, first place in our heart, we can give it to other things. I think the temple in the story could represent us as God's people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that for we are the temple of the living God. We're where God's spirit dwells now with his people. And giving Elisha giving the room to Tobiah represents when we let sin uh, grow in our lives, when we let the weeds take hold in our lives, to use the, the picture from my story. And we, don't look like, we don't like to talk about sin, do we? It's not a very comfortable topic to talk about. But the Bible talks, the Bible talks a lot about sin. What is sin? Essentially, it's going our own way, doing our own thing, giving over what belongs to God to other things. It's being the God of our own lives instead of obeying and submitting to how God says we should live. And the Bible says we've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners who need a saviour. We've all fallen short. So if you think you're messed up, you can guarantee the person next to you is just as messed up. 
We're all in the same boat. But sin is a problem because it separates us from God. Sin can be very addictive. Often it starts small. I'll just have a look, one look at that website that I know I probably shouldn't. Just click once. Or I'll just share one bit of gossip. Or tell one little white lie. Or I'll just have one more drink. Or just place one more bet. Or, it can start small, but we know it doesn't end small. Because that vicious cycle can kick in. Habits can form and the weeds take over. And like weeds choking a flower bed, sin is a bit like a cancer that can suck the life out of our faith. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. You can sense the atmosphere in the room is just kind of... It's true though, it's true. The good news, though, is that Jesus came, didn't he? He came to die in our place, taking our sin on himself. So we can be free. We can can throw it off. When he died in our place, he took the punishment that we deserved. He defeated death by rising again. So sin and death are defeated. The the, the, the war is, is, is finished. Amen. We can have a fresh start wherever we need it because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that amazing? Maybe you need a fresh start today. Maybe you've not met Jesus yet. Maybe you've come here today and you're wondering why you're here and through all these strange people singing and clapping and things. And maybe you're realizing actually that you want that in your life. You want Jesus in your life. That You've let the weeds take over your life and want to be free. It doesn't take six hours of hardcore digging to remove the weeds and the sin from your life. All you need to do is come to Jesus and say, here I am, God. I need your help. Make me clean again. But for those of us who are Christians, maybe we've been been complacent and let the habits start to form again, let the weeds grow back again. So easy to do, isn't it? I've been a Christian now for 24 years. I was only one year old when I became a Christian. Isn't that amazing? Um, no, I, 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 um, I'm just a lot older than I look. I, I still, I, even I'm nearly 36, but I still need to take ID with me to the cinema if I go to watch a film. So, um, yeah. Um, but, so 24 years I've been a Christian. That's nearly 9,000 days I've been a follower of Jesus. And have I been red hot for Jesus every single one of those 9,000 days? Of course not. Some of them I have, others, regrettably, I've, I've been less than red hot. Many times I've taken my eyes off Jesus and been complacent, like, just like Elias. Maybe you can identify with that. Now this story, I believe, is a loving wake-up call to us. Not to doze off spiritually. Stay alert. Yeah? Maybe we need to hear that love and wake up call today. We're warned in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, to be alert and of sober mind. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Ephesians 4, verse 27, warns us not to give the devil a foothold. In other words, 
don't give him an inch. Don't compromise. Stay alert. Don't allow those pesky dandelions, those weeds, to put down roots and grow. Instead, we're called to be like the runner described in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now, as we come out of the pandemic and you know, come back to church and all that, maybe some of us realize that we've t- taken our eyes off God a bit and we need to come back to the heart of worship. Maybe even now as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on things in your life that aren't right and that you need to confess to God. Maybe you even need to find a trusted friend you can share it with so that you can be accountable. Bring it into the light. Like I said, everyone's in the same boat, so I guarantee the person you share it with will be equally as sinful as you. Okay. There is, of course, the other extreme. So that's complacent compromise. Next slide, please. There's, of course, the other extreme, which can be equally as unhealthy, and that is ruthless religion. Okay. We see this in the passage in verse 3. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. This seems a bit extreme to me. I think I kind of missed the point. It's almost like a bit racist, really, isn't it? They've, they've excluded all foreigners? That's not right, surely? I think they've missed the point, and they definitely missed God's heart. Because throughout the Bible, we see God's heart to gather people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations. God's heart is to welcome foreigners, to be kind to all. The law they read was essentially about, kind of like a bit like church discipline, like not letting people in who have cursed you. I can kind of see the sense in that. Why would you let someone into your family if they've cursed you? But they've thrown the baby out of the bathwater and they've excluded all foreigners. I think that's ruthless religion. And that's not right. It kind of reminds me a bit of the Pharisees in Jesus' day who were so concerned with purity and following the rules and avoiding the pollution of sin that they kind of took it to the extreme. And they totally missed the point. We can't be made right with God by keeping the rules. (laughs) We can never earn God's love and his favor. It's a free gift from Jesus. The Pharisees got so hung up on trying to be pure that they missed the fact that, they missed the one, sorry, Jesus, who could only, the only one who could make them truly pure. To use my flower bed metaphor just one more time, they were so concerned with the war on weeds that they forgot to avoid, that they forgot to enjoy the flowers. And it's so easy to caricature the Pharisees and the people in this passage and think how silly they are, but how often do we fall into the same traps of legalism, judging others, judging ourselves, condemnation? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. We don't need to stress and strive to earn God's approval by keeping rules. This week I was reading about the life of John Wesley, the 18th century revivalist and the founder of Methodism. And as a young man, John was a deeply committed Anglican priest, 
um, but he was incredibly legalistic with himself, compulsively ranking and grading his own performance spiritually. He, it was crushing him. And then he encountered God's grace at a worship meeting. And it transformed him forever. Legalism fell away and he was filled with a deep assurance of God's love and a deep passion to share that with others. And that encounter that he had with the Holy Spirit led to the greatest spiritual awakening this country saw for a thousand years. Do you need to encounter God's grace afresh today, like John did? Whether for the first time or a hundredth time, there's an invitation today to be reminded of God's grace. Okay, so we've looked at two attitudes so far, complacent compromise and ruthless religion. Those are the kind of two extreme ways. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be like Nehemiah. Next slide, please. Verses 8 to 9, it says, I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobias' household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. And verse 11 says, I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? So Nehemiah is passionate about pursuing purity, isn't he? There's three things I want to say about Nehemiah. Firstly, he's passionate about purity. Why? Why is purity important? If Jesus has died for our sins, why bother? Well, purity, just like sin separates us from God, obedience and purity brings us closer to him. It's an act of worship, obedience, isn't it? living the life the way God wants you to live. It's a way, that's how we uh, live our lives as worship. Just like sin grieves the Holy Spirit and extinguishes our intimacy with him, obedience and purity in choosing God's way cultivates intimacy with him. Obedience can't earn our salvation. That's a free gift from Jesus. But it's a right response to what he's done for us. He's given us everything, so it's like the, it's, the, it's our response is to live for him. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So I want to, I don't know about you, but I want to passionately pursue purity because I want to passionately pursue a relationship with God that's intimate. Because that's the only thing that can really bring me joy and bring me satisfaction in life. Second thing I want to say about Nehemiah. He takes drastic action for purity. Maybe some of us need to take drastic action. Walk away from that toxic relationship that's leading you astray. Get rid of something that is causing you to stumble. A few years ago, I realized that it was unhelpful for me having a smartphone, so I got rid of it. And I replaced it with a Nokia brick. That, uh, I mean, it was amazing. The battery life was about three months. It was incredible. I never had, never had to charge it. It was amazing. Uh, and I had that Nokia for many, many years, about 10 years or so. And now I'm back on a smartphone for the last couple of years, and praise God, walking in purity. Some people are holding me accountable for how I use it, and... What joy to walk in purity, to be free from, from things that were holding me back before. But it took decisive action. It felt like really drastic action at the time to get rid of my smartphone. But it was the best thing I, one of the best things I ever did. 
final thing I want to say about Nehemiah is about Nehemiah's passion for God's house. In this story, he reminds me of Jesus in the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. Remember that story? Those who are exploiting the poor and using the temple for the wrong purpose. And Jesus throws them out. It says in that story about Jesus, it says, zeal for God's house consumed Jesus. Both he and Nehemiah were passionate about God's house. I wonder what gets you passionate. I wonder what gets you fired up. I've been having a little bit of a back and forth with the DVLA. about. I've been trying to renew my driving license, uh, and it's taken a long time to, to get back to me. And I need my driving license so I can go to the cinema. Cause I, I look, I uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's a big deal, right? Um, so, but I got off the phone from the DVLA the, the other week, and... Uh, I mean, they've taken nine months to even look at the form, I think, which is a bit... Um, thank you, thank you. I can't believe it. Uh, but I was, so, I was so mad. I was fuming about my driving license. How dare they take so long to... You know, uh, and uh, I sent them an angry email. I thought that'll show them, you know. <laughs> but I felt a check in my spirit that I can be so quick to get angry or get fired up about things that about my rights, about my needs, about people messing me around. What about God's house? What about the things that are on God's heart? Where's my passion for that? Where's my heart for the lost and my passion for the, to serve the poor? So I started to think about those things, about the, those things that are on God's heart. I started to think about the people on my street who don't know Jesus yet, the children living in poverty, those stuck in addiction without hope and without God. And I started to get myself, feel myself get kind of more and more fired up. Sometimes we can let the passion kind of go cold, can't we? It's important to keep, keep soaking that fire. Lord, increase my passion for things that you care about. God's given me a passion to plant churches in disadvantaged areas. To make a claim for the kingdom of God in the areas where the kingdom of darkness has reigned for too long, where drug dealers and slum landlords expand their kingdoms and their control and exploit the poor. God has put a fiery passion in my belly to say, no, my neighborhood belongs to Jesus. And I wonder what God's made you passionate about. My son Caleb is really passionate about the ocean. So he's put posters in our window warning people not to drop litter because it ends up in the ocean. He's age six. I hope he's still as passionate about that when he's my age. Maybe some of us had passion when we were younger and maybe we let them, let them go cold a bit. I think God might want to fan into flame those passions again today. Okay, as, uh, as we come into land, maybe we'll come up with the band up. And uh, I'm just going to summarize mentioning four groups that might want to respond today. Firstly, maybe you want to respond to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've never met him before and you want to meet this Jesus who died for you, who loved you, the one who can take away all your sin, all your mess, and give you a, new, a fresh start. I'd love you to respond today if that's you. Or maybe you realise you've become ruthlessly religious 
like the Pharisees and like the, the people in our story. And you want to encounter God's grace afresh today. Again, respond today. Or maybe you've gone the other way, become complacent, taking your eyes off God and allow the, the weeds to grow. Or maybe you just want to encounter the Holy Spirit and let him fan into flame those passions that God wants to stir in your heart. God, would you stir a passion for your house in our hearts? God, would you stir a passion for purity, for worship, to live our lives as offerings to you in view of your mercy? Help us to wake up, stay alert, to shake off those cobwebs. Help us throw off legalism and complacency. Help us turn back your grace to receive it, to turn it back into lives of wholehearted devotion to you. Amen.